Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into a business growing sales machine. It has the latest marketing, email, sales, SEO, and social media advice, and also has strategies and tips from the experts without fluff. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and an education partner with the Shopify approved course, 1000 Sales and Beyond. He's the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick has over 13 years experience in digital marketing from PPC and SEO through to digital transformation of businesses. He's helped hundreds of brands from startup Shopify stores through to international enterprises that operate in hundreds of countries. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interview the experts to help you in your journey to success. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. My name is Nick Truman. I'm the CEO here at Just Ask Parker. As you've probably heard in the last few episodes, Caroline is on maternity leave. She's had her baby. Her and the baby are both doing well. I know a lot of you guys have been asking on email recently, so I thought I'd let you know that they're both happy, both smiling. And the baby, of course, as you've got to say, is absolutely gorgeous. And they're both incredibly happy, Caroline and her husband. But anyway, we've got a lot going on at Just Ask Parker. And today, I'm joined by a very special guest. We've got Dan here from Merino Wool Shopify Store. Welcome to the show, Dan. Hey, how are you? Not too bad, thank you. How are things over in Canada? Things in Canada are weird, <laughs> but great. It's, it's very similar in the UK at the moment, I have to say. But uh, Quick question before we dive in. How have you found lockdown and how are things looking over there? Well, if you want to just talk from a business standpoint, it was a rude awakening at first. You know, we sell a merino wool apparel product that we position towards travelers. And that messaging worked really, really well for us up until there was a global travel ban. Then that messaging stopped working for us <laughs> quite dramatically. So we had to do a lot of thinking of how we're going to pivot our messaging and sales. They, they tanked at the start of lockdown. And then we had to figure out how do we get them back up. So of course, we started with changing the messaging and then trying to think of all these other tactics that we could do that would get our, our sales back up. And I think I have to thank coronavirus for I may, maybe shaking the laziness out of us a little bit because all of the things that we started doing to get our revenues back up, and we did, were things we could have been doing all along. So I find not just in business, but also in life, it's sort of forced me into a new box where I'm living in a way that I think is better in a lot of ways. So I think there's a lot of silver lining in the lifestyle of coronavirus, a lot of silver linings in the business of how we run throughout coronavirus. And thankfully, thankfully, we're an e-commerce direct consumer brand because that is a little bit of a lifeline through this pandemic. You know, people who have wholesale businesses, a lot of them are out of business right now. So we're lucky for that. I mean, as you say, there's definitely been a silver lining on this. I think there's there's a lot of decisions that we've been making in my business. For example, we work a lot in B2B. And a lot of decisions that we've been making and clients been making, in a sense, have almost been these decisions they've been delaying. Coronavirus came along and lockdown, as we're calling it in the UK, came along where we're not allowed to go outdoors. We can't just go and hug our friends and family. And suddenly these businesses have been forced to do things that they probably should have done a long time ago. And ironically, the ones that have already done them are doing really, really well. And I think fortunately, you guys are, as you say, you're a direct-to-consumer business and probably fairly nimble in the sense that it was a messaging change rather than completely shaking up the business model and you know re reformatting the whole way that the company operates but yeah and just focusing en energies on more and different types of marketing and and just but you know what people can still order products online we're able to still ship the product so we're lucky to be in this position definitely and i think how has coronavirus affected you guys in terms of logistics and delivery then has that changed or is it basically that's all the same it's just the marketing messaging on top that's had to adapt you know, there's some delays and, and constant updates and shipping to certain countries. We sell in over 100 countries and we get an updated list of countries that won't accept packages. They're not countries that are our biggest markets, fortunately, but lots of countries we're not able to ship to. Certain countries throughout Middle East, Africa, some in South America. So that was a little bit unfortunate, but again, they weren't our biggest markets. There's shipping delays that happened, especially at first. I think that's sort of starting to smooth out a little bit. But for the most part, a lot more people are ordering stuff online more than ever before. It almost feels like everyone knew where e-commerce was going. You know, it's year 2020. I feel like if this is where 
we should have been in the year 2030. It's like Black Friday every day. Like there's so many people or not for necessarily for us every day. We're not selling on that level, but the amount of e-commerce ordering in general is massive. So the opportunities to sell online are just enormous right now. And people are adapting very fast. People that used to not shop on e-commerce are now doing all their shopping on e-commerce, by not by choice, but they're getting comfortable with it. They're getting comfortable with buying clothing, buying skincare products, things that maybe they'd want to go into a store before and feel uncomfortable. They're getting used to the online experience now, and that's changing e-commerce as a whole. So that's a huge, huge promising silver lining for all of the opportunity that exists in e-commerce. I think that's very similar, actually, to a lot of the trends we're pushing out, again, from my business in London. We're looking at this time and saying, you know, it's almost a second peak, as we've described this to a lot of retailers. The peak in the UK is Christmas, you know, starts at sort of Cyber Weekend, Black Friday, right the way through to Christmas. However, one thing we've been focusing on a little bit is actually trying to help our clients and the brands we work with focus on the long term now. I know the short term is changing so quickly. But if you imagine for a second that we've got all these new people, as you say, getting comfortable with ordering online, we're now saying, well, how are you going to keep them when the shops open? You know, if there was a vaccine tomorrow and the world goes back to, I don't think it's going to go back to normal, but if the world went back to something previous, you know, it's okay to go out and go shopping. And are you guys as a business doing anything specific or are you thinking ahead yet? Or is it too early to start doing that? Well, we're focusing a lot on certain marketing things, but at the end of the day, we really try to keep the thinking simple and we always default to just put yourself in the seat of the person browsing their website or a customer. What do they expect when they order something? They expect good communication about tracking. They it's it's all about the customer experience, right? So you don't have to really think of anything that's outside the box or adapt so to a completely different world, although the world feels very different. At the end of the day, the customer just wants a really high quality product, really high quality customer service, and they want to just rely on you and trust you, right? So we just work really hard on the product development and product quality. We work really hard on the brand experience, which involves the customer experience. And with that alone, that I think that's the cornerstone of everything we do. Everything else is just a marketing tactic or, you know, we debate, do we want to make a face mask or not? When we try not to chase trends, what we really try to focus on is just the old fashioned customer experience and the product experience. And with that, you can withstand anything because that's ultimately all people care for. They don't want to be sold with any kind of marketing tactic and buy something that doesn't work for them. They want something that's reliable and high quality that they can tell their friends about because they know it's of a certain quality. And we've been very successful with that. We have a really high returning customer rate. Our Shopify store has only been around for three and a half years. Some of our customers, we have, I mean, our top customers ordered over 20 times, you know, and we have many that have ordered over a dozen times in three and a half years. So there's something to say about that relentless focus on product quality that just stands above any other tactic related to any kind of time. At the end of the day, that's how you'll stay strong as a business. Okay, I've got a killer question for you now, like a really killer question. And it's about repeat orders. Loads of customers we have and work with and a lot of the people that come to Just Ask Parker are generally starting out. And the first question they ask us is, how do I get some customers? And I get that. And that That is the hard graft bit. I've never made any secrets or claims that it's going to be easy. But once you've got customers, you talked about, you know, some people come back 20 times to order from you. I imagine almost every single listener right now is thinking, how? How do I do that? Like, what what tactics do I need to deploy? Is it email? Is it Facebook? I imagine it's a combination. But talk us through what's worked for you guys. Like, what's been the the kind of really key trigger points. When we do this, we make more money. Like, What does that look like to Merino Wool? Well, there's two things. One is I'm going to sort of echo what I've already just said, which is like, if you really focus on the product quality itself, the people are going to come back without you trying, right? Like I recently bought a, it was a silly purchase, but I bought this face covering that had an image of a pug's face on it. So and I, I have a pug. So I, I, I bought it as a joke with a friend, you know, and, and but when I would go walk my pug, I would have a face that looked like a pug. It was a very stupid idea, right? Sure. I, I've seen a few people with those on and they are they are they are hilarious. So I ordered it 
and the experience of getting it was terrible. You can you can immediately tell. I mean, I just bought this off some overseas company that's just like drop shipping. It, it, it didn't feel like a good brand experience. So out the gate, I'm already like skeptical, right? So these are the things that you don't do. Then I get the product, and if you compare the product to what I saw on the website, the image quality of the pug face was like, you know a semi-transparent version. It was a horrible print quality on this fabric, a really crummy quality fabric. Like it was just like this cheap, it was like as bad as it could possibly be quality wise, right? <laughs> so I yeah. get it. And then I I very rarely do this, but I wrote to them and said, this is terrible. I'd like to return it. And they have a return policy. I went and looked it up after the fact that says, if you're not satisfied with whatever, you can return it. But they wouldn't take it back. They were trying to tell me, well, I'll give you a $2 refund. And it was just back and forth. And back, and, and I was just sort of like seeing how they deal with it. But I just, I ended up just letting it go. It was complete garbage. Now, obviously, I'll never go back to that store again. Now, if the product experience and um, customer experience was amazing, meaning the tracking number came right away, it shipped quickly, I knew where it was. I got the product as described. Let's say it was a good quality, you know, for a silly novelty product. But they had other things. They had, you know, country flags and different animals and all sorts of stuff. So you could have become a repeat customer, essentially. Like, if- yeah, or I could have, you know, would have worn it out and said, and my someone might have said, where did you get that? And I might have referred and said, you got to go to the store, right? There's going to be no word of mouth for a crummy experience like that. And there's going to be no word of mouth for a crummy product like that. They failed on all on all counts. So first and foremost, the most important thing is you have to concern yourself fanatically with the quality of the product and the quality of the customer experience. That's the old-fashioned stuff. You don't need to have these fancy tactics or, or Shopify apps to do this. You have a good product. You have a good customer experience. People will come back without you trying. People will tell their friends without you asking. So that's number one. But then if I had to think of what the second thing that really drives return customers. It is the emails, the emails that we send, you know, and that's something that we've really ramped up during the lockdown is it's not just promotions. Like I'll give you uh, the most recent example. So we sell Merino wool boxer briefs for men and we sell, you know, you buy one pair, which sound really comfortable by the way. You know, (laughs) some people think they don't sound comfortable because they think wool underwear doesn't sound comfortable, but it is in there. I legitimately, if there's a, so our core product is our T-shirt. Our black crew neck T-shirt is our biggest seller. Yep. But if there was something I would say, like for sure we make the the best I've ever put on, it's our boxer briefs. Like I, I, I can't wear other <laughs> underwear. I've tried and I buy all of the brands. I buy all of the, the popular brands out there to sort of test it. There's some really good underwear out there. Ours is the best, I'm convinced. So today we sent out an email that said time to stock up on some underwear, right? And we put reviews of our underwear. We sent it to our entire list because people have bought our underwear and people that haven't bought our underwear. And we showed the different deals. So there's a, we didn't put anything on promo. It's our regular price. So you could buy a pair of underwear. You could buy two, two pairs. Or you can buy like a five pair bundle. And if you buy the five pair bundle, you save a bit of money, right? So we said, it's like bundle up and save. So you can see that there's, you know, some some nice saving options. But it's not like half price. You're not begging people to come back, are you? We're not giving a, a deal more than the regular bundle deal. There's no discount on this email, right? Sure. But we set it out this morning and all day. We were, we're, we're going to have an, an insane sales day today because, one, it's not that we're attracting people to underwear because they didn't know it existed. Some might have not known that we had underwear, but most people, I think, did. I think it's just serving as a reminder to a very captive audience. Like our mailing list is over 50,000 people now. And these are people that have bought off us or have opted in on their own accord to sign up to our email list. So just the fact that we are appearing in their mailbox really drives repeat purchasing because they might not have thought that they needed to buy something. It might just be a reminder. It might say, you know what? I I don't have their underwear. I'm going to try it. Or, you know what? I do need to stock up on some more underwear. I haven't bought underwear in a year and I, I should get some fresh pairs. There's a million reasons why people would buy from an email, but it's reconnecting with them. That's the most powerful thing that we do to drive repeat customers. And it works really well. Now, if we were to do something like a promo where we would put things on sale, those end up always being record sales days. The email list is the most powerful thing we have. But, you know, again, we focus on the quality so that people 
feel they want to come back to us. They want to tell their friends about us. And then the emails is sort of the little gentle reminder we exist and it works really, really effectively. I think it's, it's clear, isn't it? The email would not work if you didn't have the quality of product, the good customer service, the delivery tracking. Right. I, I gave the example of the pug face mask I got, which is it, which has gone into the trash because like they wouldn't take it back. This has gone, but if I got an email from them, the odds of me buying from them would be zero. In fact, it might remind me to, I'm not a big complainer online. I don't go and like give one star reviews to restaurants and yeah, things like it's that. It's not worth the time, is it? <laughs> I just, I just don't want to, you know, unless they like someone like personally offended me and said something, you know, horrible to me, like, look how ugly your face is. You know, I wouldn't have any <laughs> sure. reason to go. I wouldn't have any reason to go, you know, if I didn't like a sandwich at a place, I'm not going to go disparage a Just wouldn't go back, would you? To say, well, you can't have the business again. Exactly. I just wouldn't go back. Now, this experience was so awful that if I were to get an email from them, it might just be a reminder to do something like that. Like, give one star, you know, because I'll never go back. So again, you got to just focus on on making sure you have a product people want to come back for. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Right, let's let's take a step back and rewind the clock because one of the questions I really want to ask you and hear more about, partly because it's, it's probably a bit different to what a lot of stores have done, is around how you started Merino Wall. Because you guys obviously did a crowdfunding campaign, didn't you? Yeah. Tell us more about how you started. Well, we didn't start Merino Wool. The fabric existed before us. We're unbound Merino. I'll tell you that we found a need in the marketplace for my own travels. When I, I was going on a trip, I didn't want to pack uh, a big suitcase and check my luggage. I wanted to pack a carry-on because I just found it so burdensome to carry around a big suitcase. So I went on a trip. To I went to Croatia, Montenegro, Slovenia, and Italy. It was a, you know for a few weeks, and I didn't want. To, I wanted to pack a carry on, so I started googling how do you travel overseas with just a carry on, and I discovered through a Reddit thread merino wool. And this guy's use case was that I I wear these super fine merino wool t shirts because they're antibacterial, they're odor resistant, so I can wear this shirt many days in a row. And it will never smell. Even if I sweat bullets through this thing, it won't smell as long as I air dry. Like I let it hang it to air dry. It just, it doesn't matter how many times you wear it. It's not going to smell. So I, instead of packing, you know, 14 t-shirts for a couple of weeks, three weeks, I'm going to pack two or three and I'll get by. So I said, wow, this sounds amazing. So I started on my pursuit to look for Merino wool t-shirts, but I was actually, I was kind of disappointed with what I was finding. Now, all of the brands that I could find and where I live in Toronto, I live right near all the stores that sell merino wool. Just I, I happen to live on the street where the Merino Wool Street of Canada, basically. There, <laughs> well, you know, I have the, they have the outdoor stores sure. and, and the the you know Patagonia and all of these different stores are right on happen to be right on the street behind my building. So I went to all of these different stores and I was disappointed with what I found because they were made for the purpose of being outdoors or active wear. And they looked like it. So you'd have reflective logos on them. And, you know, they have a, a base layer fit, like a skin tight fit, because it was meant to be worn under your ski jacket when you went skiing, things like that, right? But I was going on a trip where I was, you know, going to go to some cocktail bars and up for some dinner. So I'm happy to wear a black t-shirt, but I want to wear a sort of a nice black t-shirt that fits nice, that I can wear with a nice pair of pants and a watch and it would be comfortable to wear. You know, this, you know, I'd wear it during the day out on a on a patio having a coffee, but also out to a cocktail bar at night and it would look and be versatile enough to fit both occasions. And I just couldn't find it. And I thought, well, I ended up buying a couple t-shirts and I did this trip with just a carry on and functionally it was incredible. The material was amazing, but I looked back at the pictures of my trip and I'd be at this nice cocktail bar and you could sort of see the logo reflecting in the picture. And like, I'm like, I, I look like I should be going out for a run, not out for a cocktail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, I thought, why is it that this material performs so well, but it's not being used in a more versatile way? Like, I can't find it. And I've, to find something that sort of worked was very, very difficult and a very, very poor experience. So I had this aha moment that we, we could do this. And I said, we, me and my best buddies, I was, who would end up being my co-founders. And the problem was, is I had my, another business I was running at the time, a video production agency. And I also had a sock company I was trying to start up as my e because I was trying to get into e-commerce and I was not really able to get that off the ground. Yeah. And I was spread so thin. I was not working very hard at either because I was spread thin between the two companies. I had no time. I had no money to start this business. Like really all the odds were against me. Like starting this business was 
by the book a terrible idea. And I went to a friend of mine who's a, a, a very experienced business coach, you know, he's an older man. He's been working in his business coach for decades and he's seen it all. Yeah. And I ran this whole idea by him. And I remember I was walking my dog and I was talking to him on the phone and he said, Dan, this is a fantastic idea. Cause he knew Marino wool and he loves Marino wool. He said, I love it. I love your position. I love it. He was so into it, but he said, but you're not the guy to do it. Sure. <laughs> and all of a sudden I felt like, you know, like, all the air deflated from me. I was like, what? Like after all this excitement from him, I felt like I won. And he said, you're not the one doing. He said, cause you're spread too thin. You know, you're, you're not doing either of your business as well right now. Cause you're trying to do both. It's like, how are you going to add a third and expect to do any of them? Well, and I was like, you know what? You're right. And I remember going to bed that night and I literally, literally had that moment where I, I was, my eyes were wide open. I was, I couldn't sleep. All I could do was think I'm like, I've waited forever for this idea, you know, to find an opportunity where there's a true product market fit. I think I can fill, you know, I could, I could make something that I want to exist in the market. And I know great companies that have started this way. They've identified something wasn't being done well. It wasn't being done right, but I think I could do this better. And that was the thing that the thought that rang in my head over and over and over again. I could do this better. I have to do it. I have to do it. It's interesting getting that voice of reason as well. Like, I mean, we, we have an advisor in our business who, as you say, has been there and done it, just knows the book. And I can throw stuff at him and be like, this is a great idea. And he'd be like, yeah, it is, but don't do it. And here's why. And actually, it's, again, the, the answer you get from people is invaluable. And I think sometimes people who don't motivate, they actually try and sort of clip your wings, can sometimes do exactly what you need, which is not the fact they said yes or no to the idea or that you should or shouldn't do it. It's actually the fact that it left you awake at night thinking about it. So you had a, you didn't just dive in blind. You had a proper think, why can't I do this? Who is there? Yeah. You and know, I, like, and I think, it's interesting. And I think the fact that he challenged it, made, this is what led to crowdfunding. Cause I thought, okay, well, he's right. I don't have time. I don't have energy. I don't have money. All I have is belief that this is a good idea. Right. So crowdfunding was a way of saying, well, if we, it, it just dawned on me, like, if I do this crowdfunding thing, it solves all of those problems of what what I don't have. Because I don't have time. Well, I can build the crowdfunding campaign as a weekend project. I, I, I could do it, you know, just instead of going out for beers with my friends on a Friday night, I can go out for beers with my two co-founders who I was going to get to help me start this thing. We can go to my friend's place and we can have a few beers and, and, and work on this thing. Figure out how can we launch this crowdfunding campaign. Yeah. So that solves the time thing. We only have to do it once a week. And we could do it on the sidelines of our, of our day jobs and our other businesses. I don't have the money. Well, crowdfunding solves that because if you're a successful crowdfunding campaign, you're getting the pre-orders that fund the capital. And do I know if this will work or not? Well, crowdfunding solves the question of whether you found product market fit or not you give your, your best pitch and people are going to vote with their wallets so i'm like if i can go do this crowdfunding campaign and it fails good i don't care because i scratched that itch and the very worst thing that could happen is i'll go and create a bunch of prototypes and i'll make the t-shirt that i wanted to have for myself anyway maybe i'll have a dozen of them you know and i wanted this t-shirt it'll be 12 of my favorite t-shirts ever i'm gonna make it and i'll have it and if it doesn't work, I'll say, at least I tried and the, the, the market isn't ready for this idea or they don't like this idea or, sure. or I'm not good at pitching this idea. And how did the crowdfunder go then? I'm assuming well, given that you're here today. But <laughs> Well, yeah, well, we, we tried to raise 30,000 US dollars in pre-orders and it ended at 400,000 in pre-orders. Wow. So we took all that money. So obviously it was a terrible idea and you didn't go ahead with it. Is that, is that? Yeah, no, I, 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 when, we, when the crowdfunding worked, I walked away from my other business. I gave it to my business partner. Yep. You know, he's still running it. He's doing it. He's actually doing a great, he, he's, he simplified the business and he's doing way better without me because it's like a, a more simple, lean, elegant little business. So he's happy. And I went off and I, I worked on this thing. I, I, I didn't pay myself. For the first year and a half, I had a little bit of savings and I evaporated all the savings to live. And I really had my back against the wall, but I've said this thing, I've already proven there's, we could pitch this thing. We've come up with the brand. We've, we found that product market fit. I'm all in. And I went all in and we just built out the Shopify store. And just on the initial word of mouth from the crowdfunding campaign, we had momentum 
and we parlayed that to Facebook ads and, and we just kept growing and growing and growing. And we were growing pretty dramatically right up until coronavirus where we got smoked. And that was another, I think, again, as I said before, one of the best things that happened because I think our success bred a little bit of laziness in us because even if I were to shut off completely, we were still had this momentum of growth all from the crowdfunding campaign. This is even years later, we've parlayed that into some momentum. The the best thing we could do to mature as a business was have that slap in the face of a global pandemic. As terrible as it is, and I, there's nothing to to glorify in a in a pandemic a lot of people you know get sick die all that is terrible stuff but it did really force people to reevaluate the way they live and the way they run their lives the way they run their businesses so it's all been just a great trend from the beginning from the idea right until now and uh, yeah here we are can i jump back very slightly to the you're talking about the pandemic and another slap in the face i'm reading this amazing book which i'll endorse quickly is um million dollar maverick by alan I think it's Alan Weiss, I think is his name, W-E-I-S-S. He's always been a massive mentor of mine. I've never met the guy, never spoken to him, but just from reading his books about consultancy. And in his book, Million Dollar Maverick, I'm listening to the audiobook at the moment that he narrated, and it's absolutely brilliant. Because one of the things he talks about is getting too comfortable. And he's like, in his consultancy career, so often he turns up at businesses and he's like, your head sales guy, why is he failing? He's comfortable. CEO, why is he not interested? It's too comfortable. And then like, you know, why are the guys in accounts not getting the accounts done on time? Too comfortable. And it doesn't mean everyone has to live on a knife edge and, you know, sort of watching their backs constantly. But there's a natural level and all the big authors out there at the moment talking about anything business related. They all talk about like, what, what is the thing that's driving you? And it's not necessarily fear, but you need a challenge. You know, humans feel at our absolute best and we make our best decisions when we're feeling at our best. But we feel at our best when we are challenged and we overcome something. And the problem is when you've overcome it, you think, right, I'm on top of the mountain now. I'll just stay here. The reality is there's always a bigger mountain next door. And I think it's just interesting hearing that you've had exactly that with coronavirus because naturally there's this negative line across the whole media right now about death counts. And, you know, as you say, it's, it, it, is, it is heartbreaking and there's no two ways about it. It's, it's a bad thing on the whole. But I do think we are starting to see, as you say, the silver lining of the cloud. There, there are some good things coming out of this. So if I can ask a slightly personal question, how did you respond when you were like, okay, we're into lockdown in Canada now, sales are tanking? Like, was there that initial fear? Were you just filled with the adrenaline and like, I've got this, I'm, you know, this is bringing me forward? How did you feel? Like, what was, I imagine there was a few different things. It was my job to roll up the sleeves and, and, and turn into like a war general. We have a shared spreadsheet dashboard where we track all of our progress on certain things that we need to accomplish week in and week out. And we changed the design of it. Like we put like, you know, we have a little picture in the corner. And so we, we made it all look like it was like a military font and everything. Right. And we did that because we're like, we're going into the war room, you know, like we're available to each other morning and night. Now we're all hands on deck. Like this is not a joke. And it filled my day with a lot of purpose. And as scary as it was a lot of joy because it felt good to band together with my business partners and the team. And to think like we have to take this thing very seriously from a health standpoint. You know, we're also processing, we're sending out packages and bringing in packages for returns. So it's even health and safety in the in health the and safety and, matters. Yeah, yeah. Yes, everything matters, and and getting the 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 sales back up and the business back on the rails matters the, so much. Like, how do you do it all together? And I was really like loving what you were saying about this book about getting comfortable because, you know, we, I was, I was getting a little comfortable before this. And I, I think I, I haven't been in this place in so long that, you know, when you have all of the basic necessities taken care of, why do you really need to like push through? Like, and why? And you have to actually think about, like, well, do you want to? Well, if you stay comfortable and you feel comfortable, if you let yourself get comfortable, it's very, very quick where that sort of just transitions right into laziness. And laziness is bad because laziness just stops you from achieving the greatness that you have in you. Like, I, I, I don't have to work harder. I could, like, at the current place where our business is right now, I can live comfortably. If we keep it going like this, I can live comfortably. I can live my life within my means. I can go on some trips. I can eat good food. And, I, you know, it's fine, right? But if I let the laziness get to me, 
It's denying my own life from achieving the truest greatness that I can achieve. And this is not about huge monetary gain. I don't need to make a lot more money. You know, I I don't need to have a, a fancy car. I'll never get a fancy car. I don't care about cars. But it's kind of like life is a game and you can live it however you want. If you want to like really grab life by the balls and live full throttle, you ought to achieve your own personal greatness. And laziness has no place in that. So I've learned through coronavirus, the lesson that you're like talking about through this book, it's like, don't be comfortable. Like, you know, see how many orders you have a day and like think of what the potential is. Why would I not want to get the business to its potential? I can work harder and get it to a greater place. Well, we can start to do bigger things in life. Like as we get bigger, let's just say we became 10 times the size that we are right now. We would then have the power to actually make changes within the industry you know things that we are passionate and care about like the big life purpose stuff like like pushing for higher level of transparency on like ethical treatment of workers in a factory or of animals like we work with with uh wool so there's sheep involved right now all the wool that we source we make sure it's certified mulesing free which is mulesing is it's a controversial thing but we ought to to avoid it it's like there's actually like a, a almost like a little surgical procedure they do on the sheep at birth so that it prevents them from getting this thing called fly strike now some people say it's totally ethical but some people think it's inhumane we think there's no reason for it so i would not buy wool that has any mules in because i am not convinced that it's not cruel to animals i think it is so when we can become bigger our influence in the wool industry could be bigger and we can use that for positive change for the world as a whole we can have more influence over our suppliers to be greener and more sustainable right now we remain a relatively small company as although we've grown quite a bit Our influence isn't huge. So if I'm less lazy, my future might involve me having more say over global sustainable practices within my industry and things of that sort. And you can start to think bigger, right? So laziness is almost like a disease. And I am fully, fully okay admitting that I was right there. I was suffering from it because I got comfortable a little bit. So that is, to me, the biggest thing about coronavirus that's a positive is it sort of shocked me into thinking like laziness is not just a limiting thing for myself as an entrepreneur and as a human for my potential, but it's also less fun. I was a little scared when coronavirus came for how much our sales dipped. It was scary, but it was like starting the company again. It felt fun. It felt like being alive. So now I realize I sort of have this like connection I'm trying to make now where I'm trying to reconnect to that not being comfortable mentality to being scared mentality because it feels fun to roll up my sleeves and to try to make things happen in a bigger way and the more i feel like i need to get in there the more i feel like i'm up at night thinking about things and the ideas are turning in my head the more purpose i have in my life and the more purpose you have in your life the more you're living a good life and the more you're living to your potential and that's I, I'm loving it. So that's still with me. You know, we've recovered our sales. Our sales are up now because, you know, again, it's e-commerce and we figured out how to sort of like tweak the system to get back in the game. But I still feel that aliveness, you know, we're, we're working on a different level right now than we were pre-coronavirus. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's almost you talk about that sort of crazy, fun energy that comes back into this. I almost feel like sometimes it's... Um, and again, I mentioned the advisor who sits on our board. I think I've mentioned him in every podcast right now, which just shows you how influential he is to me and how much I have developed under his sort of just, just, you know, I run the drill. I ask him questions and occasionally I get to him. I'm like, I am so busy. I can't think straight. And other times I go to him going, everything's a bit quiet and it's making me feel really, really anxious. Like, you know, like something's, everything's falling apart. I'm just not aware of it yet. And actually what he always says to me, he says, well, just, you just need to answer this question. Are you running the business or is the business running you? And I think when things are going well, what happens is the business starts to run you in a sense because you're like, right, I built these processes. Now I'm following them. And now my diary's full because we've got enough orders a day or new clients or whatever the, you know, the metric for growth in the business is. You kind of get all that stuff and you get, you get to this point where the business is running you now. I have to onboard these new clients. I have to make sure these orders are fulfilled. I now have to go and hire more staff to sit in my warehouse. I need more marketing. I need more email. I need more products. You know, and it starts to become that. And he always uses this phrase of like, just take a step back are you running the business or is the business running you? And I feel like coronavirus was a sense of 
every single business owner that I know has said very similar to what you've said, totally different circumstance. Every business has been completely unique. But what they've said is pretty much the same. I've gone back to basics and gone, I have to run this business. You know, you mentioned the kind of war room scenario. When we're launching a big enterprise website um, and we're doing the SEO strategy on it, we have one of those pre-created for launch day. What do we do if we launch the site and we lose all SEO traffic, you know, millions of pounds or dollars per week gone? What happens if, you know, like something technically goes wrong and there's nothing we can do about it? And we have this kind of war room scenario. And I feel like lockdown has made every business aware that we kind of need one all the time. So we've all created one on the fly now, but we almost need this kind of, as you say, our sleeves have to remain rolled up. There has to be passion left in the company. Otherwise, what do we have? I know business owners that they've reached lockdown and kind of gone, do I even want to do this anymore? And some have said, no, actually, this is my opportunity to get out. I now have a reason, a purpose to get out because it's not going to be pretty now. I don't think I can turn this around which now means I've got this newfound freedom, you know, that kind of one door closes, another one opens sort of thing. And I think there's going to be a lot of that. You know, the recession had the similar effect years ago. It was like, you know, all the bad businesses were filtered out. The ones that weren't making profit probably should have died years ago. They've lost their vibe. They're either going to find it now or or disappear. And I know there's all the kind of unemployment and all the bad things that come out of it. But in the long run, generally, it's a really healthy thing for an economy to have that. I'm not an economist, though, and I know there's loads of downsides. But you know, trying to look at it optimistically, that, that's something I've noticed a lot is these kind of things, they, they almost just sort of filter out the bad stuff and leave the good. And then you're left with good industries and good businesses. Yep, I hear you. And you're right. You always have to you, know, you find a way to maintain that war room mentality. I watch sports sometimes and I forget how unbelievably talented pro athletes are and, and skilled and hardworking. But then I, a part of me also thinks it's like, yeah, but their job is easy in a way like i mean it it takes the strongest minds and the strongest bodies to achieve what they do and not like i can go and say i'm going to play you know professional basketball i have no chance my body is not built for it right but what makes it easy is the destination is easy what they need to do their job is to work as a team and get to the championship and win that's it it's clear you get the ring you've won that's what they're going for. They can get one of those in their career. That's enormous. You know, if they get multiple in their career, it's like legendary. But the road ahead for a business owner is more vague. Like, I think I'm almost jealous of these pro athletes that said, like, do everything that you. So, what do we need to do to get to the ring? Well, we need to have a, a really good coach and a really good practice regimen. And we need to have good athletic conditioning, but from our exercise to our diet and everything and recovery we need the best players we need the best science behind yeah, the it. best yeah. plays everything right and if you focus all of that and you practice and you keep your body in good condition and you exercise and you eat right it's like you get you have a chance a shot and you might get that that championship ring right for business it's like well what's the championship ring what could make me feel like our toronto raptors felt last year when they won the championship the whole city was overjoyed. They were overjoyed. Like, well, what a moment. They got the ring. It was like the end goal, right? Well, what's our ring, right? So so we try to set that every year. Like, what is the, the stretched goal that we have to wrap all of our habits and behaviors around to get to that if, like, I almost feel like I want to figure out what the ring is and, and buy myself a ring if we achieve it, you know? Like, some, like, ludicrous big goal. But it's like, it's really a similar thing. It's like that's sometimes a problem because if you just if your business is working and it caters to your lifestyle and you like going out for dinners, you like going on vacation, it's like, well, things are fine. But like, are you living like Michael Jordan? Like, can you push harder? Isn't that fun to think like it's like I'm gonna set this like ridiculous goal that can be done, but it's ridiculous. And you put everything in your business around what are all of the methods that would take for us to achieve getting to this ludicrous goal. You know, it could be like doubling your revenue in a year. It could be a yearly goal. You could have 10-year goals. But I always try to think, like, what's the ring? What's the ring I'm after? Like, it's that sort of little bit of a ludicrous goal that can be done. Definitely. And that's sort of the thing that can make you feel uncomfortable. You know, it's like falling behind. You don't don't accept falling behind. Like, because you know what? I get it. I played, you know, recreational basketball and it got competitive. 
I remember winning the championship one year. I remember losing in the semis one year. And when you get that close, it's like the excitement is insane. But man, you are so you want to win. This is just recreational basketball, right? Yeah, that feeling. But you should feel it. You have to feel that pain when you don't meet your goal in business. And that I think a lot of people don't do. I mean, in the UK, I'm a classic British Londonite and I support Chelsea Football Club, which I feel like I've been running this podcast long enough now to actually announce that. So if we lose some subscribers, because everyone's very, very territorial in the UK, (laughs) when England are playing, we're all best mates. When England aren't playing, everybody hates everybody. But the... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, exactly the same thing that, you know, they were doing with that. And I, I read this really interesting analogy, actually, which I think was from Tony Robbins or something like that. I, I think it was in, in one of his books, actually. He said he worked with a sports team, like a baseball team or an American football team. Was like, and he said to them all, look at the table at the end of the season. We were, you know, five points or maybe two wins or something. We're two wins, for example, behind the team in first. We came second how much better do we need to do to win? And everybody in the team responded like, oh, we've got to completely up our game, redo this, redo He goes, no, no, we don't. If everybody scored one more point for the team this season, you know, or got one more goal, one more try, whatever, you know, whatever sport is, if everybody just got one more, on average, you'd only each have to improve by about six or 7%. But the total improvement, we wouldn't just win we would be 25% or something above that team in first. So they just focused on that, which meant they had this really big goal, but they broke it down into really simple little steps. How do we get there? And for a business, it might be, well, look, and I always use this analogy in our business, I'd rather excel at customer service to our clients, the way we talk to them, the way we train them, the results we get them. I'd rather do that and keep every single client for one month extra than try and sign So for example, if we kept 10 clients for one extra month, I'd rather do that than try and sign one client for 10 months because it's harder. So again, in terms of you talking earlier, going right back to what you're saying at the beginning about looking after customers, I feel like actually to to hit some of these big goals, they're not as far away as people think. But equally, I'm going to ask you a quick question on this as well. Um, How do you set those targets? Like the kind of financial, like do do you do the old school like Excel, here's a business plan, Let's put some numbers in and try and hit them. Or how do you guys go about that? You know, beginning of your financial year or physical, you know, calendar year. How do you set a goal and, and sort of head towards it? Okay, well, this will take me a couple of minutes to explain, but I'm going to do it. Okay, that's fine. We got ages. Okay, <laughs> we start thinking of like 15, 20 years out. Like, what is a, a goal? And I'm not going to share that because it's audacious. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know? sure. It's a big. Like, like in a, I think it's good to great. He, the book, he talks about a big, hairy, audacious goal. It's almost like an uncomfortable thing to say because you sound like you're arrogant when you have a goal this big. Well, let's, let's do another one of these in 15 years and see where you're at. Yeah, okay. Because okay. I'd, I'd love to find out. Okay. So you set a goal and this is the starting point of why you can't be lazy, right? So you think that this is possible. You have to believe that that thing is possible, right? And all that thing is, is a North Star. And then from that, you say, okay, if that's where we're going to go, let's pick three to five year date from now. And you pick a specific date. So let's just say it's, you know, mid year 2020 right now. Let's pick the year 2024, December 31st or 2025 or 2023. You pick a date, right? So we're going to say 2024, December 31st. You say, if we're going to be going in that direction, what's our, let's start with revenue. What's our revenue going to be? And you put that down on the board. And then you think, what other financial metrics and and, and operational metrics matter? And you're you're painting a picture. Who is this company in four and a half years from today, on that specific date? And then you map that out. And that's very simple because you can just say, if I'm going to get to this revenue and this, I'm going to be here. But then you say, who are we as a company that we could be doing this? So it's like, well, okay, well, our email list is going to be have to be like at least 10 times the size, right? So we're going to say email list is 500,000 people. Right. Or you make up the number. You might create some campaigns to get you those numbers because that's the next stepping stone. Well, you start to identify what are the things? What are the things that make me make us the the company that is worthy of this being this uh, as the picture we painted in December 31st, 2024? Right. So as mailing list might be one, our customer service might be a certain like you you sort of say that I, I can understand the things that matter. Oh, we don't have any women's clothing right now. So we would need to have a full women's line. So that's, we're writing all of the, we're painting this picture, right? So, okay. That's a snapshot of that date. Then we go one year, 
So, you know, it's mid-year 2020. So let's just say we're going to go December 31st, 2021. So a year and a half. Say, if we're going to get to that 2024 picture, where are we going to be in a year and a half from now? So our revenue right now is this. What, How much bigger is it going to be? And what's our profit going to be? And then what new products are we going to release? And we start to say, okay, well, what are those thrusts that will take us to be, and it's hard. It's not an easy goal to get where we're saying we're going to get in a year and a half from now. But what are the things that matter? Well, our email list, we have to get it started, right? So we're going to have to have our email list at this number. So we're going to have to get it to like, let's say, I think realistically we could say 100,000 if we're at 50,000 now. So let's get to 100. How are we going to, so, okay, you just put it down. You're just painting a picture. You have your mailing list. You can have your, you know, what products will come out. It's like, well, we we're just really, we have to have our pants out. We don't have pants yet. You can start to like think a little bit more specifically. It gets a little bit clearer about what's going to get you to that point. Then you take that, that snapshot is complete. You then go to your quarter, the quarter. And this is where things get really real. So you say, okay, if we're going to get to that thing in December 31st, 2021, what do we have to work on now? And the less is better. You know, it's like, really clear it's like a mailing list really matters we've identified that so what are we doing for that we only get a revenue up so our email campaigns really matter so like we're going to focus on you know that and some clavio like marketing automation flow stuff like it gets a little more granular but the core we always start from beginning that that end in mind so that we can work all the way back and then the things that we pick to work on over the next three months are based on where we want to go and we can work really hard with laser focus on that. And we would do that every three months. But now we're doing it, you know, since War Room mentality has come into place, we've broken our quarters into smaller sprints. So they tend to be about six weeks. So we're doing a smaller strategy meeting. Instead of doing like we would, we'd, every, if we did every quarter, we did full two days and we do it offsite. We're just doing like a one day, we did it at my place, you know, we just six weeks. And it's like little sprints of getting things done. And it's been, it's been great for keeping us on the rails. I think it's amazing. And the, I just love the fact you have this audacious big goal, which again, in 15 years, I'm going to email you at absolute minimum. If not, get you back on a podcast somewhere and we'll have a chat about it. But yes. having this kind of 15, 20-year goal, but then again, breaking it down into those little steps. And I think, again, it's, I probably didn't spend enough time earlier in my career when I started running my business I didn't spend enough time doing that. I didn't value thinking. I didn't value strategy. I thought a business plan was just chuck some numbers on a spreadsheet. I could never see further than 12 months in advance. And I'd kind of create all these plans. And then I'd get back to my desk the next morning. And the first thing I do is the same thing I've been doing for the last like two years. And it was just, again, just when I say it like that, it's pointless. At the time, I was like full of drive and adrenaline. And that helped me sign some clients. But I feel like the more I've started reading, listening, interviewing people, the more I started to really learn like, okay, we need a plan. We need a purpose to be here. And actually, you know, looking back, we, we've barely lost any staff members in the last three or four years. We've only grown. Our clients have gone from lasting six to nine months, which, you know, for an initial, initially we were just an SEO agency. We we're pretty good. That's pretty good for an SEO agency, six to nine months just to keep a client. Whereas now we're hitting like three or four years and counting. And we've got contracts locking people down that they can't disappear overnight. So the business has some security. And all these things that they sound really obvious when you sort of list them out. But at first, when we started, it wasn't obvious because if it was, we would have just done them. As you say, it's about having that really, really clear goal and then breaking out these little bits of like, right, here's where we need to go. And I think last question I'm going to ask you today really is, you have this plan. How do your staff and teams respond to it? Do they sort of go, oh, not another plan? Or do they ignore it? Or do they all get very excited by like, we're in, this, this sounds awesome. We want to be part of this business that goes there. Like, what, what's the response you generally find? Well, we, we have given a lot of autonomy to the people on our team. So I would think maybe even too much autonomy in the sense that, I mean, they love it, but I, we have been so hands-off of and that's something that we need to change. We need to be a little more hands-on with how things are running that are outside of the things that, outside of our silo, so to speak. So my business partners and I, we used to do this in, in our own silo all the strategic planning and we're now starting to involve the team more and what we're seeing is they know we trust them because that's clear and evident in the fact that we've given them this much autonomy throughout their working days we trust them to run on their own so now as we're starting to rope them in you know and the core values that we've established for a company are a part of it and all the stuff that we're introducing them to and what our goals are and what the things that we need to be working on are 
as we start to introduce there, they welcome it because they know this is not any kind of micromanaging. This is about we're, we're building something cool here. It's clearly growing a lot. And we're going to let you in on what our strategic planning is. The goal is not to communicate it top down. Like this is what we're going to do and you guys are going to do it. It's this is where we think we want to take the company. We want you guys to help us figure out the roadmap. So we have them help us figure out what are their goals and priorities and how they're going to help us achieve that, not us telling them. So they're very open to it because they realize that we're not the company and instructing them and pointing our fingers saying, you do this. We are all a team and we're working together to sort of figure out, you know, if we want to go back to sports, like what are our plays? Like, let's work on a play together and work as a team. It's a team, not a machine. Yeah. I'm going to copyright that. I just made that up. But I think... There you go. It's exactly right, isn't it? It's like I'm not a cog in a machine. Just, you know, stuff doesn't come to me and I just stamp it relentlessly. Like, everything I do affects, you know, even if you're packaging products, every product I package affects a customer. What's my boss going to respond with if I go back and say, I found us some cheaper packaging that would be better and let us do it. I know it's the dream from a sort of owner's point of view, like every employee innovating at every possible point. But... They don't have that creative freedom without a vision, without the accessibility to ask those questions. But when you create the machine together, like, you know, I just, I, I keep thinking, of, and I'm not even a huge sports guy, but I keep thinking of sports because I, <laughs> sure. I, I find it's a beautiful comparison. Yep. But I was just watching the, this documentary about the Chicago Bulls on Netflix, mm-hmm. and they had this play, The Triangle, and it was assisted. They, they, it was a way of moving around the court that they kind of had this like mechanical way of knowing like how to move the ball towards the basket and it's like they were in it together when the ball was in play they had this almost like muscle memory like conditioning of like how to operate this and it's like together our team we're building these plays and it's not like us communicating down to them it's like we sort of include them in everything we do and it could be like that's it could be like the triangle in a sense it's like when something happens like we've established together how to deal with it and like they know it's like it's not a lot of thinking there's not a lot there's no like approvals needed it's like let's just move let's keep the ball moving you know and and everyone on the team feels that and we love working with the people we love working and i I, I could honestly say unless i'm completely delusional our staff our team they love working with us too and that's because we trust them, we give them respect, and they're a part of the thinking. Sure. No, it sounds amazing. And I think it certainly sounds like you guys are going places. I am actually going to set a diary reminder in 15 years. So if Google calendars still exist and they're still in my pocket, I will absolutely <laughs> drop you an email. Yes. Provided we're not still in touch with each other at that point, I will definitely... You'll find me. Definitely drop me a note. I will. I'll, I'll hunt you down and turn up at your office one day and be like, I'm the guy. How's it going? You know. I think that's really cool. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do that. Well, look, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been so great to have you. And you know, I really appreciate all the comments and feedback and, and stuff that you've shared today. It's been uh, it's been a, a big learning curve, and it, you know, nice to nice to have somebody on the show as well who is a Shopify owner. You know, we have so many guests on here that are just running tech businesses or uh, service based companies, a bit like mine. You know, it's it's really nice to have somebody from the store point of view sharing some ideas. So thank you so much, Dan. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. I had fun. Thanks so much for having me. Cool. And for everybody else, we'll be back every week. We're posting every Friday at the moment, so. Uh, Keep an eye on that. If you want to support the show, go and check out our Facebook group. And if you want to subscribe, you can go on uh, iTunes, Spotify, Buzzsprout, Google Podcasts. There's a whole lot of other places as well. So uh, please stay in touch. And thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Sign up for free for the Shopify approved marketing course at 1000salesandbeyond.com and get our show notes at justaskparker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. See you next time.